Hi, I'm Luis Osterizaga from JP Morgan, and today we're going to talk about some significant developments related to benchmark reform, mainly focusing on the transition away from US data LIBOR. To do this, I'm joined by Tom Pluta, the global head of linear rate trading, and Chris Palmer, the head of JP Morgan's LIBOR transition program. Tom, Chris, last year, the industry went through the big bang change to US dollar discounting and PAI. This year, the ARC are meant to endorse forward-looking term SOFR, but it appears that they want to see SOFR first. What does this mean? What is SOFR first, and how do you expect this to help transition away from LIBOR? Sure. Thanks, Lewis. SOFR first is an effort that was organized by the CFTC through their MRAC subcommittee, where they pulled all of the major market participants together to coalesce around a date upon which the market convention in the interdealer market would shift from LIBOR to SOFR for linear derivatives. And this date for linear derivatives is July 26th. Now, specifically, interest rate swaps, curve spreads, and swap spreads versus treasuries are all part of this agreement. The MRAC organized this. The, the ARC was involved with some input. And it seems that the market is on board to join this effort on that date. And if you remember, given where we are in SOFR derivatives, the, the uptake is still fairly low, frustratingly low, I would say. Only about 7% of the volumes are in SOFR with 93% still on LIBOR with only six months to go until all new business needs to be off of LIBOR. So this sort of big bang boost to the market, if you will, I think is pretty important. And market participants have been looking for this organization and guidance from the official sector to move forward with this shift to SOFR. I'll just say in the UK, we did this about October last year, in the early October. And that had a roughly 20 to 30% boost in the uh, liquidity levels straight away. And that's we've now seen Sonia to up over 90% of the overall swap market. So it really was kind of the last push, as Tom alluded to, the, the last push here to, to the market to see what did the regulators want to see happen? How can we make that happen? This was the last step. And the evidence is there to, to say that it, it's worked. And we really hope that that US market follows suit very closely. Yeah, so we definitely looked at the UK experience to organize it in the same manner in the US. And we're really pleased with the response of the dealer community so far. All of the dealers unanimously went on record at that last MRAC meeting on the topic. So I'm actually very optimistic that this SOFR first effort will be a success and start significantly shifting volumes to SOFR from LIBOR and give us some momentum. Simultaneously, with the shift in the interbank market, we are going to continue urging our end-user clients to trade in SOFR as well. We've already been providing liquidity to clients across the entire curve in SOFR derivatives products. We're the market leader there. Clients can trade via voice. They can trade electronically through TradeWeb and Bloomberg. And, and we've been streaming full curves of prices for well over a year to those venues. What clients really need to understand is that Given the interbank liquidity is starting to shift to SOFR, client liquidity as well will shift away from, from LIBOR and in favor of SOFR. And with that, LIBOR bid offer spreads on a relative basis will start to widen out. So clients do need to be prepared and plan to migrate their own trading activities at the same time. And how does this feed into the development of the SOFR term rate? The CME term SOFR is out now. It can be used in cash products initially and until, I believe, June 30th, 2023. Why is this development so important? And then how does the ARC endorsement play into this? 
There's a couple of points to this. The first one is the ARK endorsement. So let's cover that off. What the ARK and the general market really want to see is that the basis of that term rate is built up heavily on derivatives in the overnight market. So we really want to see that liquidity increase. And Tom mentioned before that it was sort of roughly in that 7 to 8% mark. What we don't want to see as an industry is the entire derivative market move across to be a sofa term derivative market. That's not what the regulators want to see. So the conversations at the moment are ongoing around how can we evidence the growth in that overnight derivative market? So Tom mentioned before the swap spreads, we talked about the sofa first. So we we really want to see post that July 26 date, the predominant amount of derivatives being traded are based off the overnight rate. That really gives a great foundation then for the sofa term rate to develop. And that will be when the ARC endorse it. They've openly said that they will endorse that in the days following the SOFA first, assuming that the, the liquidity levels and the, and the market volumes are sufficient, which we expect them to be. So then comes into the, the focus around how can we use this SOFA term rate? And Lewis, you're right in that today you can go and do that a SOFA term rate today. It doesn't require the ARC endorsement. But what we have seen is many uh, clients that we've spoken to talk about the importance of that ARC endorsement because they really want to use the rates that are protected and endorsed by the regulators. And the term rate, I think it's really critical for the corporate lending market in particular. I mean, it's really the one market that hasn't really shifted as part of this transition to the extent that we need. JP Morgan have been strong advocates for a long time on the use of the SOFA term rate, particularly for our corporate market. And to be honest, we are really pushing that they should be able to use a derivative to hedge their cash loans that corporate market as well, because it's really important that they have the ability to have a nice, clean, neat hedge. So we still haven't got the the full use case paper endorsed by the ARC yet. That hasn't been released yet. We do expect that to come out around the end of July as well. So hopefully what we see is by the end of July, we see a term rate that's endorsed by the ARC. We see it able to be used for cash products and also for derivatives that are hedging those cash products. And we think that's really important. And we think that the market then will be able to shift quite nicely onto the forward-looking rates because most clients talk about what's the market standard. No one really wants to go first, but they also don't want to be last. And Tom talked about the liquidity issues that, that may arise with, as we head towards the end of the year. So I think once we get that ARC endorsement, once we get that term rate out there and using, we see clients transitioning across, the transition becomes a much, much easier proposition for many of our clients. I just want to go back to one thing that you said. You said that the ARC doesn't need to endorse the term rate for you to be able to use it today and that clients are looking for an ARC endorsement to get comfortable with the rate. If the ARC doesn't need to endorse the rate, what does the endorsement actually do? It has two benefits, Lewis. The first one is with respect to fallbacks of cash products or other contracts where the ARC endorsed fallback language allows for a waterfall approach. So most situations, it starts with a term sofa, then goes to a simple sofa, simple overnight sofa, and then on to a selected rate after that. So once the ARC endorsed the term rate, it allows the term rate to be used in that fallback language. The second part of it is really for the potential use in the legislative solutions that are proposed in the US. So firstly, our New York state legislation has been approved now. And also we hope to have a federal legislation approved sometime around sort of the end of October. So all things being equal, if that does happen, the ARC endorsement of the CME term rate would allow that to be used as the base for implementation of the fallbacks or uh, replacement rates for the the legislative solutions. So 
to the extent that you've written your contract fallback language that looks to an endorsed rate, this is how the ARCS endorsement helps. And it also helps via the legislative solution. That's correct. Thanks. I'd just like to echo a couple of things that Chris said and, and, and add a few points as well. So it's clear the next important thing to be released is the ARC's recommended scope of use for term SOFR. As Chris highlighted, there's been a lot of debate about to what degree term rates should be used in derivative markets. We do believe that term rates should be available for use in derivatives, with the most obvious use case being end users who are hedging cash products linked to term SOFR, such as loans. These hedgers have made it very clear to us that they need a hedge that's like for like and don't want to assume basis risk associated with a derivative being in, say, a compounded and arrears format. So we continue to think that that's important. Now, we do still fully expect that the majority of the derivatives market will be the trading compounded and arrears formats. And remember, the entire legacy portfolio of LIBOR derivatives will fall back to compounded and arrears, and that's trillions of dollars of derivatives. That's a big advantage for that format, and we do think that'll be the majority going forward. But the final point I'd make here is that we continue to believe that the best way to accelerate this transition is to have SOFR available in all forms and available for use in derivatives to some degree. And that will smooth the transition overall. There's a wide range of market participants doing a variety of hedging and investing activities, and there isn't really a a one-size-fits-all solution for all of them. And how do you think that the availability of the credit-sensitive rates and the SOFR term rate will impact the transition in the market? Credit-sensitive rates have emerged and gained interest and traction in recent months, in no small part due to the uncertainty about the status and timing of the SOFR term rate. As I mentioned, there are some client segments and some use cases where end users clearly want and need forward-looking term rates, and they need hedges that match their cash products, whether they're assets or liabilities. So the credit-sensitive rates do provide both of these things. Now, others interested in these rates are interested specifically due to the credit-sensitive nature because it'll better suit their balance sheet. And for still others, it's a combination of the term the term rate nature and the credit-sensitive nature of the rates that are attractive. Our view remains that the vast majority of dollar LIBOR transition will be to SOFR, and that's how we are operating at JP Morgan and pushing ahead in our transition. But the emergence of credit-sensitive rates raises the importance of the ARC finalizing and publishing that recommended scope of use for term rates sooner rather than later and giving that clarity that the market needs. We also think that the end state will be a multi-rate world post-LIBOR and that that's desirable and appropriate. We're in a multi-rate world today with LIBOR, OIS, CMT, prime rates, etc. And JP Morgan, our overall stance remains consistent that as one of the largest providers of financial products for our clients in the markets, if there is a demand for alternative rates besides SOFR, as long as they are robust and IOSCO compliant, we will provide products linked to those rates. I think on that point around the robust nature of the rates, it is worth pointing out that there was a recent committee meeting in the US where some of the regulators you know, were less than positive on these rates primarily around the robust nature and the volume of transactions they considered them to be LIBOR-like. And there is a little bit of difference. It's worthwhile going through some of this. The primary difference is these rates primarily are taken from over a couple of days, up to five days worth of transactions as opposed to the way that LIBOR is created today, 
where it's simply the transactions from yesterday. So there is a difference in the way they create. And the idea behind that is to try and get more transactions in there to try and make the rate more robust, meaning that on days where there are less volume traded of, of CP, CDs, et cetera, then the ability to spread that volume over three to five days will enhance the volume and therefore make it a more robust transaction. Even with that, it's worth pointing out that the regulators were still somewhat negative on CSRs as a concept. But I think Tom's right in that we do think the end result is that these, some of these rates will survive and that we can certainly work with a market where there are multiple rates around. So I think it's important to understand that yeah, it's not going to be a SOFA wins everything or CSR wins everything type of discussion. It is a situation where it's working out what's the best rate for you for that product for that time, et cetera. And so really understanding and making sure that your systems and processes and approvals, et cetera, are set up to trade and lend and deal in these types of rates, depending on your business. I think it's very important to think about that now because if you are putting you know, all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, it may be a situation that you know, you've, you've backed the wrong horse, which you clearly don't want to do. Yeah, I guess I'd just add to what Chris said. While the regulators' comments coming out of the FSOC meeting generated a lot of headlines, they weren't really inconsistent with what their guidance has been all along. Now, while they aren't going to dictate what rates are appropriate for banks to use with their clients, they also want to make sure that the rates are robust, well-governed, and used appropriately. So they're just reminding market participants of this. That makes sense. So moving into the second half of 2021, what do you both think clients should consider? For me, I guess I would just say this is a call to action. There's only about six months to go until new transactions and all products need to be off of US dollar live work. It's not a lot of time. With the interbank derivatives market set to shift activity to SOFR on our July 26th SOFR first date, Volumes and liquidity will quickly shift towards and then in favor of SOFR with LIBOR volumes and liquidity decreasing. And then with the SOFR term rate soon to receive ARC endorsement within days of, of that July 26th date, this will also accelerate volumes in the cash markets. So clients really need to realize that it's time to transition their own portfolios, whether they're restructuring their legacy portfolios or increasing the amount of new business they do. They need to be doing it in SOFR and, and off of LIBOR. And for me, I'd say the, the biggest date that's not talked about as much is the end of 2021 for the, the last dealing in US dollar LIBOR. The regulators have made it very clear that they intend to enforce that. And the FSB as well put out a note where they've asked regulators all around the globe to endorse that date for no more new US dollar dealing around the world. So we don't expect there to be any opportunities for you know, regulatory arbitrage around the world. That being said, Tom's right. The next six months is not a lot of time. So you really need to get on and start thinking about how you can deal, lend, trade, et cetera, referencing all of the new rates because there's a lot of focus now on you know, what's going to happen over the next month with the SOFA first lead up, et cetera. But things will move pretty quickly in that latter part of the year. So we really think it's important that you are all set to go. We've, we've spoken to many clients who are talking about putting in on small trades or putting on you know, small loans, et cetera, just to make sure they've got everything set up and ready because no one really wants to wake up on the 1st of January 2022 and, and have to deal in a new rate they haven't actually traded or dealt in before. So a lot of that sort of preparatory work needs to happen now. And I think the, the clients are really looking forward to the transition because we've been talking about this, some of us, for too long, but for, for many, many years. So I think it's really important that as an industry that we all start to move forward and think about the end game because 
the last 18 months should really be focused on the legacy transition. So thinking about that, the legacy portfolio and, and how we can transition that across. And this next six months is really thinking about how do we set up to deal and lend trade in uh, all of the new alternative rates as soon as we possibly can, because the end of 2021 is a fixed deadline and that definitely won't move. Tom, Chris, I'd like to thank you both for taking the time to speak on this topic. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Lewis. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks, Tom. The views in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of JPMorgan Chase & Co. or its affiliates, collectively JPMorgan. This communication is provided for information purposes only. J.P. Morgan normally makes a market and trades as principal in securities, other financial products, and other asset classes that may be discussed in this communication. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please consult the links in the description. For further information about benchmark reform and the transition away from LIBOR, please also consult the links in the description.